The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. Ira Bell, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Anyways, Mike, I think that all I really need is a definitive list of when it's acceptable to uh, take a number two in the urinal. I don't know if there is a list for that, Neil, but we're live. (laughs) Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's uh, jump right into things today. We've got some great opening topics. Mm. I'm excited. The first one uh, goes back to groceries, specifically produce, something that you and I are both very passionate about. Bell pepper colors. Let's debate. Which one is the best bell pepper color? And uh, I hope that we land on the same color. Otherwise, this podcast is over. <laughs> well, Neil, <laughs> I, I think we should we should talk about bell pepper color tier lists here because, mm. uh, of course, okay. we, we can't just say which one is the best. We got to, you know, tier it up here. Uh, there is a correct answer for the best. So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely debate. But um, just yeah. to, to give you the, the colors that we have to work with, we got green, we got red, mm-hmm. we got orange. Mm-hmm. We have yellow. We also have marble. Uh, I'm counting that. That's yellow and red together. I've seen a couple of those yeah, fancy, peppers. Fancy yep. pepper, yeah. Fancy yeah. peppers. Mm-hmm. And we also have purple. Purple peppers do exist, Neil. What? Yeah. Where, where do you buy one of those? I've never seen this before. But I, I shop in like like a regular grocery store. Maybe you have to go to like uh, Whole Foods or something. Yeah, I think I, I've only seen them a couple of times. I have had one before. I have not bought it, but someone else had bought it and it was a thing to try and uh, it was interesting. It's it's. I felt like it was thicker skinned, uh, and it also tasted a bit okay. more bitter. So uh, yeah, uh, it was it was okay. a little strange to actually eat. But uh, purple peppers do exist; they are a thing. Okay, I've never had one, so I don't think I can rank that mm. on on my list. Uh, so how do you want to do this? Do you want to like kind of ping pong back and forth our least favorite to favorite, or oh no, I'll just do my tier well, list right I'll, here. Do nice okay, and, quick. and I'll see if I, I'll. I will let you know if I agree or disagree. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so in the, the in the C to D to like in the low tier here, yeah. green. Green is sure. the basic. It's also objectively the worst because it's not good for you. Green peppers uh, oh. do not have the same kind of nu- nutrients as red, uh, orange, and yellow ones because of uh, green is of course when it's not quite ripe. Uh, and it's picked right. early, so the nutrients don't get absorbed into it. I don't know science, but uh, sure, <laughs> and, and it doesn't taste as good. So that's that's my lowest. No. Uh, and then I'd say orange and red are tied right there at maybe a B or A tier. They're uh, they're okay. quite similar. Really? Uh, yeah, I just uh, red, red is low. I would think red's at the top for me. But okay, well, that's yellow yellow is my number one. I uh, or sorry, I should oh. say yellow is my number two. Uh, mm. That would be an S tier. I love yellow. Yellow is the sweetest pepper, uh, and yep. I, I like the I like the, the tangy sweetness of it. And my number one would be the uh, the marble because I get yellow and red combined, and that's an S tier. 
That's true. It's like the swirl cone from uh, mm. an ice cream truck. It's basically nature's version of that. nature's twist. <laughs> that's a, nature's yeah, ice cream twist. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, you don't see those ones as often. So no. really, it's green, yellow, orange, and red are like the four main ones that you see in the grocery stores. You're totally right. Green sucks. Like green bell yeah. peppers suck. I know that like people will be like, you know, they're all the same. It's just like the level of ripeness. It's like yeah, but that's like saying that like Legend of Zelda is like a beta for. Uh, breath of the wild 2 you're right but you're like shut up like, it's, it, it, I, like they're disgusting they're the cheapest one and yeah. now i can say i don't eat them because they're the most unhealthy ones yes. so that's a good argument mm. it, it does go green red orange yellow right in terms of how it ripens is that the order it depends so i was reading about this okay. i did my research now uh, green okay. it, they don't necessarily all come from green peppers some of them start out uh, sometimes yellow or sometimes orange, and they go to red. Red is the last one, though. Red is like the the final. Oh, okay, it's the final uh, final form. It's the final. That's the Charizard of the bell pepper universe. I like the red bell pepper. It looks good on a platter, like a charcuterie platter or a vegetable platter, a crudite, if you will, with some dip. Um, but I, I can get down with yellow bell pepper. It is the sweetest one. You're right. I do like to have something that's a little bit in between, though. Red, it just looks nice on a tray with some broccoli, with some cucumber, with some carrots. I love that. The, all the different colors there. It just looks so nice, bright and red. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, do, you, do you have a – this is a random question, but do you have a preference if it's, like, got the four bumps on the bottom or the three bumps? Oh, wow. That's you know uh, that that's, that's going deep. Uh, yeah. I'm a four-bump guy. deep into guy. some produce facts Four-bump guy. Four-bump. Okay, cool. One of them's female. One of them's male. I don't remember which is which. They're, they're, I, oh. It doesn't matter. They, they taste exactly the same. Yeah. There's male and female peppers, something to do with that. But anyway, Mike, you may have noticed that my voice is strained recently, and that's because uh, we've had a lot of cool news this week in terms of uh, music news. I've been <laughs> screaming my ass off because Blink-182 are back. Tom DeLong back in the band. we got to talk about this real quick. That mm-hmm. news came out of nowhere, just right out, right out of the blue. We've got a new single. We've got a world tour coming out next year with like 70 or 80 tour dates all across North America and I think some places in Europe. Uh, they have that new single that just came out last week, Edging. Uh, so real quick, what are your thoughts on all of this news and the new single? Well, uh, it came out of nowhere, but at the same time, we kind of knew something was going to happen. Uh, Matt Skiba was asked, uh, or like they were talking to Matt, and he was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm part of Blink-182 anymore. Uh, and obviously Tom kept kind of rumoring that he was going to be joining the band, and Mark just kept saying no. Uh, so I guess right. he wore him down. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, Tom is back in Blink. Because, uh, uh, cause, you know, we shouldn't say Blink is back because Blink did has been going strong with uh, uh, the Matt Skiba iteration. We had uh, California right. and we had Nine. So two honestly pretty good albums. Uh, and yeah. yeah, we got Edging. Not a very good single. Might uh, ruffle some fellow feathers there. But uh, as your lead single, that is not very strong. No, no. It, it was more just around the news of Tom being back. It's been, yes. what, 10, 11 years since he left the band. So just him being back in the, the trio again was uh, was the big news. I like Matt Skiba in the band. You're right. Mm-hmm. California was a great album. Nine was good, too. Uh, Angels and Airwaves, Tom's band that he's been doing for the last decade or so. They've got some okay songs. The, for the most part, I much prefer him doing more of the pop punk stuff, uh, early Blink-182, Enema of the State being one of our favorite albums of all time. We're not going to get that type of Tom or Blink again. Uh, so I was not expecting the single to sound like Enema of the State or anything like that. But yeah, yeah when I heard the new single, I first heard the teaser and I was like, okay, I can kind of <laughs> see where this is going. It's a very, very cookie cutter drum beat, very cookie cutter chord progression. The lyrics are pretty simplistic and goofy. Uh, I would have preferred something a little bit more mature from the band uh, and something a little bit more complicated. Like Travis Barker's a really good drummer and the drum is not, the drumming is not even that complicated in the song. So all in all, it's, it was a really forgettable song for me, so... I'm excited for the tour. I hope that I can get tickets for it. I know you got tickets last week. You got some 
pretty pricey ones. I'm going to try and scope out some cheaper ones if I can, but uh, two tour dates in Toronto next year, May uh, 11th and 15th or something like that. So you're going to the 11th show. I'll hopefully get tickets for that one or the 15th. We'll see. Uh, So we'll we'll report back more on that next year since you and I are both huge Blink-182 fans. And we also got a trailer for an upcoming movie that you and I are both going to be very interested in. And I'm sure that some of our listeners will be too. The new Mario movie got its first kind of sneak peek trailer come out a couple weeks ago. We heard Chris Pratt uh, voicing Mario. We heard Jack Black voicing Bowser. Uh, I gotta say, the animation style, I was impressed by it. When Illumination was announced as being the studio, I was a bit nervous, because I'm not a huge fan of Despicable Me's animation art style, or Secret Life of Pets, or The Grinch. It always just looked too, uh, I don't know, just not dystopian, but everything just looks like so clean, and yeah. I don't know what the word is for that. It's way too polished, way too overproduced. This actually looks pretty good. What were your uh, initial thoughts? Yeah, I thought the same thing, honestly. I, it, it looked good. Uh, it, it looked like a real, yeah, it looked like a real place. It looked, it looked, looked, looked like a real mm. professionally done movie. Yeah, I always find that these, the, those Illumination movies are, are just, they don't, there's something about them, like you said, that just kind of. They look like AI made them. Yeah, it does. It looks like it was, it was literally just generated, you know, out of a, yeah. a vacuum. And it's just like, here we go. This is now let's just copy it for all the other movies we do. This, this looked like there's a lot of time and effort, especially for this trailer to get it right and make it look good. Uh, who knows if the mm-hmm. movie will actually look this good, but they definitely upped their game for this for this trailer. Uh, and of course, mm-hmm. we had the voice acting. We had uh, Jack Black as Bowser, uh, which was kind of cool. It was cool to see him mm-hmm. uh, as Bowser there. And it, it felt like, I, I don't know, somehow like Bowser kind of like looked like Jack Black. Maybe like my mind was like melding them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I can, I can see Jack Black in the CGI. Uh, but and He's on set. He's in the costume. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but And then I love seeing the penguins from N64 there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. kill those damn penguins. That stupid that penguin really good. always beats me in that race in, in uh, Super Mario 64. I hate that guy. Kill him. Uh, but then, yeah, hearing uh, uh, hearing Chris Pratt as uh, Mario uh, saying, yeah. this is Mushroom Kingdom. Wow. You know, it's, I was like, Ugh. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I should have known that it's just going to be his voice with like a small Italian inflection. But I've never wanted him to be Mario. And I this just kind of proves my point. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting anything worse or any better. Honestly, no. it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's, it was Chris Pratt voicing Mario. So I really hope that he doesn't have too many lines in the movie, which I'm sure he will. Uh, yeah. I would really hope to have more Bowser scenes, more Peach, Luigi, Donkey Kong, and Mario being kind of the, the side character almost. Yeah. But if it's Chris Pratt, I know he's going to want to be in the movie at least 30% of the 40% of the time. So we'll have to wait and see what the rest of the movie looks like. But I love Jack Black. He, he sounds like he's going to do a good job as Bowser. Um, so yeah, that was an exciting thing to get uh, a few weeks ago. So mm-hmm. we'll have to wait and see what, what comes out of that. Maybe we'll go and uh, make a movie theater trip out of it. Comes out what spring next year. I forget what the release date is now. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I'm just, something I'm, like I, I'm just focused on Zelda when that comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that'll be the big Nintendo news next year. But going back to some old Nintendo news real quick, Mike, I jumped down a bit of a rabbit hole the last two weeks and that's been old GameCube or I guess GameCube in general marketing. In terms of magazine ads, commercials, I was really just jumping down an eBay rabbit hole of cutouts of magazines of old posters mm. and really enjoying looking at like old advertisements for games, like seeing a poster for Scooby-Doo Unmasked or Ultimate Spider-Man or Kirby's Air Ride or Animal Crossing. I sent you a screenshot of that. Mm-hmm. They're all so damn clever. I, I highly encourage if you're a huge fan of old Nintendo Power magazines and GameCube in general, go on the just eBay GameCube posters and you'll find all of these uh, all of these really clever posters that they're not too expensive either. They're maybe $20 each. 
Um, but they were just so creative. And I saw a, like a common thread between a few of them. And some of them had a quote on them that just said, who are you? And then it was like a picture of Paper Mario or whatever. It was an ad for Rogue Squadron. Hmm. And I was like, what was this like some kind of ad campaign at the time that I've completely forgotten from memory? And yeah. it was. This was like a whole thing where they had like an ad for GameCube, the character, whatever it was, Star Fox or Samus or Zelda. And uh, it just said, who are you? Like at the end of the commercial, kind of being like asking like, who will you play as? Which character who will you play as you? kind of thing? And it was really cool. Like they did this for Paper Mario, Pikmin 2, Metroid Prime 2, Star Fox Assault, Bi- Batten Katos, GoldenEye Rogue Agent 2, <laughs> random games like that. And it was a it was a really cool marketing campaign that I completely forgot about and just happened to come across it. I watched all these YouTube videos this morning of all the ads that have been uploaded. Uh, they're all really well done. Some of them are really like mature too. Like for Mario Party 5, they had like a whole series of commercials for the Mario Party games where Mario is running for president. And it's like all these people interviewing him, asking him like how he's running. Is his brother running with him? What's his like? What's his relationship status? Just all this stuff. And it was like the ad was all about like screw politics, play video games kind of thing. It was a really weird. And this is like 2003 when like not long after 9-11 and George Bush is in office. Like it was very a very political North America at the yeah, time. Yeah. So it was neat that they went with that angle. Like it was just an interesting, interesting set of ads for Mario Party of all games. That's so that's really interesting to me. I love stuff like this. It's um it kind of yeah. shows you how these people were thinking at the time when we were playing all these games and because marketing obviously is such a huge part of video games because how are you gonna get people to notice your game, especially in the early 2000s when there's very limited uh, kind of zones for kids to to, to see things uh, and yeah. to be exposed, I guess, to these these games, right? You either go to a game store and you see it there, uh, someone mm-hmm. gets it for you randomly, or you see an ad on TV or in Nintendo Power, right? And so it's, um, it's quite a different world now where just our consumption of media is so vast and so diverse where before it was kind of very singular and you really just had this uh, this small moment to capture a kid's uh, attention and uh, yeah. it's uh, pretty cool that they are they they did some really creative and unique ads at the time which kind of reflect the GameCube it- itself right you know which mm-hmm. was uh, all the titles and all the things that they were doing for the the cube at the time were unique and different and probably wouldn't be done again and quite risky and uh, yeah, it's like it's really cool. I saw some of those with the the commercials with uh, yeah, like Thin Man for Paper Mario, Scavenger yeah. for Pikmin Two, Bounty Hunter for mm. Echoes, like uh, Villain yeah. for <laughs> GoldenEye Rogation. GoldenEye Rogation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, they're really clever. I feel bad now for like like kids today, just because the only marketing, like the video game marketing wheel machine, whatever you want to call it, is basically just giving these games out for free to Twitch streamers and influencers. Yeah. And then people finding them that way, like giving a game to whoever it is and then finding it on YouTube. You see a, a review of it and then you go buy the game and you they're just kind of just letting these influencers kind of create the marketing hype for the games, which is it, it, it's one option. But it's I just would prefer if the companies themselves were making these commercials, like even the Nintendo Directs, like I would love these Nintendo Directs if we got a half an hour of trailers like the GameCube trailers were. Where it's yeah. real life people with some CG in there, with like some kind of tagline at the end, with actual you know good gameplay in there, and not this random VO going like voice voice over the video, just telling us what it is PowerPoint in a boring monotone voice. <laughs> Very powerful. Yeah, we talked about it a few weeks. Just feels like you're watching a PowerPoint presentation. Where this was exciting. This was cool. Yeah. Honestly, it made me want to play some GameCube games. Like I saw the ad yeah. for Spider Man Two, and I was like, God damn, I got to play some Spider Man Two, and I did. <laughs> it, it, the ad worked, Neil. The ad worked. Twenty years later. Yeah. <laughs> 
Mm. <laughs> it did work. Glad I have that one in my collection. But anyway, Mike, I think that it's time that we uh, jump into one of our favorite reoccurring segments. What do you think? Well, that's right, Neil. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a message on whatever social media platform you follow us on or send a message to us on our Discord channel. Leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. We will read those reviews on the podcast, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Well, we actually had a bunch of people write into us because we asked uh, people out there on the Instagrams uh, what their first GameCube game was. And we surprisingly got a lot of duplicate answers. Uh, a lot of people submitted, but we only had five actual games that people submitted. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was uh, NBA Street, which was a unique one, a uh, bunch of Sunshines, bunch of Luigi's Mansions, yeah. uh, a few Melees, and uh, one Rogue Leader. Nice. That That's a couple of launch games. So Luigi's Mansion, Melee, and Rogue Leader are the ones who got the mm-hmm. game at launch. Uh, I would assume. I mean, even if you got the GameCube later, odds are you probably got one of those three games too because those are three of the best games on the console. <laughs> yep. I love asking people that, like what their first game was for, yeah. uh, for a console. Me with Spider-Man 2. Were you Double Dash? Yeah, and I was Double Dash. Double so Dash. we don't actually fit into this uh, <laughs> these segments, this five-category segment. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a fun question to ask for sure. But uh, moving right along to our next message from Jeffrey Z on Instagram. Hey, I love the podcast, and I had what I think is a cool idea for a side mission episode and wanted to pass along, in case you feel like doing it. GameCube mods and emulation. Obviously, it's come up in the podcast in passing for some of the more expensive games you've covered, like one we're going to talk about today, and also the Smash Bros. episode. But I think emulation and modding are both pretty large communities and are probably some of the most popular ways to play GameCube in 2022, other than using a stock console and discs, as Nintendo originally intended. So, that could be things like Dolphin emulation, Slippy Netplay, Soft Modded Wii with Homebrew, and Nintendon't. And maybe the popular hardware mods people do to GameCube systems, like replacing the optical drive with the GC loader, replacing the fan Mm -hmm. battery, HDMI, and dual output mods, etc. I'm not a legal expert, but I think so long (laughs) as you don't tell people where to illegally download download copyrighted materials, this is probably all kosher to discuss. Well, thanks, Jeff. Um, I I, I appreciate – I love when people send us ideas for episodes like that. And this one was uh, an an interesting one, so I want to – to uh, highlight it on the pod for sure. We talk about these kind of things a bit, you always in passing, because a lot of times we end up talking about emulation. We did talk about it a little bit more recently with uh, the Def Jam episode last week, Neil, uh, mm-hmm. and talking about, uh, oh my God, I already forget the name of the the, the uh, Parsec yep. uh, that, that Brian was talking about, that how people play Def Jam. And and still play it online to this day and play it at Evo and everything too. So <laughs> it's uh it's pretty cool. Like that like that world is really interesting. I would love to, to talk about it a bit more. We did it when we did the Super Mario Baseball episode and we had Kayak on who talked about yep. the whole um, modding of it and how they upkeep the the system and they're, because they're basically using Slippy for it, which is the same uh, that they use for Super Smash Bros. Melee. So uh, that stuff is really interesting to us. I think we'll definitely, in the future, talk about the Wii Homebrew, because that's Mm -hmm. a whole other can of worms. I would love to do an episode just on that. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, great idea for a, a side mission episode at some point. I like talking about it in passing when it comes up in conversation about the games that we're talking about. So definitely something that we'll be able to talk about in the future. Mm-hmm. And next one we have is Lane from Instagram who says, Hey guys, found your podcast on Spotify while searching for stuff to listen about Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. And now I'm obsessed with the podcast. Thanks for making great content that helps bring back so many good childhood memories. 
I love that. I like how some people, we're going to talk about this in a second, but people using Spotify as like a search engine to find a, a soundtrack or a podcast about a game or a franchise that they grew up with and then stumbling across our podcast or other podcasts. It's not It's not a way that I thought people would discover us, to be honest with you, when we started this. I thought maybe no. searching just GameCube was how people would find it or on social media. So it's funny when we hear people like looking up Shrek and finding our podcast or <laughs> I know, in this right? case looking up Paper Mario. It, it's really funny, a uh, funny way to discover us for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I I love I love that this is the way that people can discover us. Definitely. And last but not least, we have Robert W from Instagram. This message really uh touched my heart earlier last week, but uh Ooh. wait, wait, wait. Who are you guys? I found your <laughs> podcast just a couple of weeks ago. I've been a bit tired of everyday music, even though I'm a complete nerd and know pretty much every useless fact about hard rock metal and AOR there is. Instead, I recently turned my attention to game music, and this particular day, I searched for Wind Waker's soundtrack. Hence, I found your Wind Waker episode and really enjoyed every little bit. And yes, I own a GameCube, a purple one. So, I started listening from the beginning. Oof. And then you started dropping <laughs> trivia about Tom DeLonge and Angels and Airwaves, Alter Bridge and Mark Tremonti. Two of my absolute favorite bands, and especially those two, have been with me longer than any other bands. You have, besides the GameCube, talked about loads of things that are near and dear to my heart. And now you drop some meme that I have no clue what it is with a name from my country, Sweden. I'm truly looking forward to all the trivia-filled episodes that you have ahead. Thanks, guys. He's talking about Leif Erikson Day, uh, the Spongebob Inga meme. Inga Dinga Durgen. <laughs> yeah, that's from a Spongebob episode. That's a classic <laughs> Inga Dinga Durgen joke. Yeah, we love that. Can't forget Leif Erikson Day. Come on now. No, of course not. Yeah, that was a really amazing message from Robert. We really appreciate that. All the way from Sweden, too, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, again, like searching for Wind Waker and finding our Wind Waker episode, listening to it, liking it enough. Uh, I got to give credit to the guests on that episode because we had some really amazing guests. So yeah. they probably buoyed his uh, interest <laughs> in it because they were talking about some really cool things. And he's like, okay, okay, I'll go back. But surprisingly, he kept going after going back and listening to our first couple episodes. So yeah. got to give him a lot of credit. Definitely. Thank you so much for going back to the beginning. As we say every couple of weeks, please don't go back to our earliest stuff. Start at Sunshine and maybe work your way forward from there. Uh, but, you know, very good. Thank you so much, Robert. That was a really nice message. And uh, greetings from Canada all the way from Sweden. That's amazing. That's amazing, Neil. But I think it's time to move into the episode at large. What do you think? All right, sounds good. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 115 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 506 games. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Roy, he's our oh, boy. Roy's our boy, right on. Last week, we covered Mortal Kombat and other fighting games on the GameCube to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Mortal Kombat series. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, weebs and anime nerds, please gather around. We are talking about one of the most <laughs> well-known tactical role-playing RPGs of all time, which goes all the way back to 1990 on the Famicom, a series that hit its stride in North America, not with a new game, but mostly with Super Smash Bros. of all things. We are finally mm -hmm. here today to talk about Fire Emblem Path of Radiance. Uh, we have a few people joining the show later today to talk about this game because, uh, as Mike and I have said before in the past, we are not RPG nerds. Uh, so this is a series that is largely just a complete blank for us. But as is tradition, Mike, we got to talk about our memories of Fire Emblem. So when do you first remember this uh, series coming into your uh, coming across your path? Well, it's got to be Melee. I mean, I, I, mm -hmm. I assume a lot of people our age would have first seen Fire Emblem through Melee because, of course, 
Fire Emblem didn't even exist in North America at this time. Uh, we got uh, Roy and Marth in Super Smash Bros. Melee in December 2001 over here, mm-hmm. and we didn't get a uh, Game Boy Advance Fire Emblem North America game until about a year later. So, uh, and of course, we didn't know about those those uh, Game Boy Advance games uh, at this point. So yeah, that, that's probably the, the, my first, or would definitely be my first memory of just fire emblem because i remember asking people like who are these characters who is marth he's very good (laughs) i want to know more about him uh right because you know everyone liked to try and play as marth and um uh, i think a friend of mine knew advance wars and had played those games and he was like oh this is like the japanese version of those games or something you know you're like 10 years old so you're just making things up it's like, right yeah this is, he's from the japanese version of it of of advanced wars and he's like oh cool wow which is not technically wrong it's a great yeah. description yeah <laughs> and uh and yeah and then i you know, kind of just didn't think about it again probably until brawl i didn't have any inkling or knowledge of fire emblem until brawl when when ike uh, came in as well i was like oh here's another fire emblem guy big sword anime guy and <laughs> I think I fell off again after that, and it was wasn't until Awakening. That's when I remember it. I remember a lot of people playing that game. For us, that would have been late high school or first year university, and that was really cool. And I picked that up. I played it. I had a 3DS, or I had just gotten a 3DS at the time, probably about a year later in 2012, and I played Awakening uh, in I could probably second year university, and I was like, whoa, this is a really fun game. This is like a great little handheld game. Uh, like I, I know Fire Emblem's existed, but I've never had any inclination to play it, and I really liked it. But I never played anything after uh, Awakening. It was honestly just the time that it took to play. I had time in university, <laughs> in second year especially. I remember that. So uh, I, I, I got to have time to just fool around on it, play that, play Pokemon X and Y as well right. uh, on my 3DS. But uh, that's really the only touchstone in memory other than seeing this game constantly for $300 at game stores. <laughs> no, totally. I have the exact same uh, the exact same path with Fire Emblem. That's interesting. Yeah, Smash Bros. Melee was the first time I had heard of Marth and Roy. I was always playing as Samus, and I went over to my friend's house, and he was playing as Marth and Roy. Or usually it was mm-hmm. Marth, I think, was his character. But I, I really thought that these guys were just made for smash bros i didn't i had no way sure, of checking yeah. we didn't have i didn't have like google to go look it up we didn't, i didn't go yeah. over to my nearest eb games to look into who these characters were i didn't think twice about it honestly i thought that they were just made for smash bros which at the time made sense in my brain um yeah. but yeah like uh the series came to north america around the same time didn't really hit its stride for another like you said 10 13 years until uh, fire emblem awakening came out on 3ds which i played as well in college that's the first and only Fire Emblem game that I've ever played. I enjoyed it. it it's a really fun yep. uh, tactical game. You know, you come up with strategies. You can go back and play the level again to do better in case one of your characters dies. Um, you level up. You grind and everything. I love it's like chess kind of. You come up with strategies and there's environmental hazards and everything. And you can build up your team. You can you can go in heavy with axes or with defense and with swords and everything. So it was a really deep game. I just never mm-hmm. had any desire to want to play another one after that one and it really got me you know diving deep into the fire emblem series as a whole looking at its start in 1990 up until 2022 and this may seem like a bit of a hot take i don't know but i really think that nintendo packages this series as being way bigger than it really is not to say that it's a bad series i think it's very well made and very clever and very well designed but 
these games don't sell any more than two to three million copies at best. Like, even the best-selling games are are three million. Like, the way that Nintendo makes it seem, the way that they talk about these games in their directs, in their E3 presentations, they almost always have a new Fire Emblem game coming out, new content for old Fire Emblem games, new news about them. There's, like, ten Fire Emblem fighters in Smash Bros. now. You would think that this series is up there with Mario and Zelda and Pokemon being in the ten-plus million copies per game, you know? But... They, the best-selling one is around 3 million sold, and that's the most recent one on Switch. So, And up until that point, the games on uh, Famicom, Super Nintendo, Game Boy Advance, DS, GameCube, Wii, they all sold less than half a million copies each. The series has yeah. sold 10 million copies worldwide in total, and that's not counting. There's some games that don't have a lot of sales data. The Nintendo always just said the game sold well, and that was basically it, <laughs> which doesn't give us much to work with. Um, so the series is very popular. I'm not going to say it isn't, but I don't know. I think that the fan base is just way more vocal than it is big. Like they don't sell as many copies as Mario Kart does, obviously. But the way Nintendo talks about it, you would uh, you would think that it it uh, it does, but. So far, the series consists of 16 core entries and four spin-offs. It's appeared on nine consoles, including mobile. Uh, the game rev- revolves around tactical movement of characters across grid-based environments while incorporating story and characters, which is where most people get their enjoyment out of these games from, actually. Especially our friend of the show, Zaffer, who's going to be joining the show later. He loves the story of Fire Emblem. Oh my god. Any chance he gets, <laughs> he will talk about Fire Emblem, so we're really excited to have him have him come on later. So, uh... I guess with that, Mike, we should probably welcome the uh, the first guest of the day. Who's joining us first today? Well, Neil, it is Zaffer. It is uh, you have willed him into existence right now, Neil, <laughs> uh, by uh, by summoning him here to to fight for us. So, uh, joining us, our first guest of the show, Zaffer. We got to ask you. Our first question would be: Who is your favorite character in Fire Emblem? Well, I would have to say Camilla from Fire Emblem Fates. If mm. you were to Google her, you'll see a lot of. Very fun and interesting pictures. Ah. <laughs> totally Fates. safe for Let's work. Here. Oh, okay. All right. I can see that. All right. Is she part dragon? Uh, that's a spoiler, Neil. Should I put <gasps> that on the podcast? Oh. <laughs> no, yes. It's Fates. It's, it, that game, it was not a GameCube game. We spoil GameCube games because that's been 20 years. Fates was that's fair. like what? That's fair. Five years or something. So, uh, all right. Yeah, they'll, they'll get to it eventually. But uh, that's an interesting answer. I, I, uh, I thought you might have said, uh, you know, maybe Lucina, maybe Roy. He is our boy. Roy's our boy, definitely. <laughs> of course, I only know Fire Emblem characters mostly through Smash, but uh, uh, and that's one of the reasons we brought Zaffir on today is to be able to talk about Fire Emblem in general, just a franchise that Neil and I, of course, know, but we don't know to the extent that we would be really comfortable diving into it uh, extremely with just the research that we know. So before I get into Path of Radiance, Zaffir, I want to just talk a little bit about kind of Fire Emblem as a whole. And researching this week, I found it very interesting kind of how Fire Emblem took off. Of course, we talked earlier, uh, Fire Emblem was in uh, Japan for basically 12 years uh, before it came to North America. And then we get two North American GBA games. Mm -hmm. uh, And then we get Path of Radiance uh, for the GameCube in 2005, the first console release. And I thought this was pretty interesting how this kind of played out. Uh, and I just wanted to kind of prick your brain about the transition from Japan only to North American market and kind of how that happened, why it happened, and why it kind of failed at first. Right. So I remember as a kid, you know, playing the first westernized Fire Emblem, uh, you know, obviously I've never heard of it. 
I'm just thinking, like, where did this come from, right? And I remembered, you know, as I got into the series more and more, and I started learning more about the series' history, I figured out that apparently the Japanese thought that Fire Emblem would be too advanced for us short, small brain North Americans. <laughs> <laughs> and so they didn't release it over for a long time until they saw that we liked Advance Wars. And they're like, whoa. Oh. They can handle Advance Wars? Okay, they can handle our product. <laughs> and they, I mean, that's pretty much how it came over. It was pretty funny when I think about it in hindsight. Like, the fact that they didn't have faith in us is pretty jokes. <laughs> so what attracted you to the series, though? Because you said you played you played the first game, the North Americanized one. Is that a Game Boy Advance version, or was that the console GameCube one? Okay, so, yeah, the, uh, the first Western Fire Emblem is on GBA. It's, right. it, it, it's just called Fire Emblem here, but in Japanese... In Japan, it's actually called Fire Emblem: The Blazing Blade, and that's the okay. seventh game, which is incredible when you think about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I was just uh, I was in middle school, and some of my friends were playing it on the GBA, and I'm like, "What is that?" And like, "You haven't heard of Fire Emblem?" And I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and so I just watched them, and I didn't actually play it; I just watched them play it. And yeah. years later, years years later, uh, on the Wii. I saw Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn. I'm like, hey, Fire Emblem, I remember that game. Mm -hmm. And so I just bought the Wii one. And ever since, I've been getting into the series more and more. And now I'm definitely a hardcore fan, for sure. That's that's cool. That's uh, that's a really interesting like kind of way to to stumble upon it. And uh, I think was just from that story alone, you can kind of tell how Nintendo didn't do a very good job of supporting. Uh, Fire Emblem at this kind of stage in its life. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier, but like, yeah, like the sales numbers, not good. Path of Radiance, 0.5 million copies. Radiant Dawn on the Wii, on the Wii had only 0.4 million sold. That's just a complete failure. Only 400,000 on a console that sold 102 million units. Uh, and uh, we also had Shadow Dragon on the DS selling just 0.5. And that's right. DS 150 million units, right? So yeah, it's uh, terrible. Just just these terrible numbers. And you know, clearly you just kind of came across it uh, secondhand, right? Just seeing people playing this game uh, out of the blue. Like there's a high chance that you just miss this in the rest of your life. You don't get to experience fire on them uh, as you do now, right? I agree because. Like, ideally, I should have, like, I had a GameCube. I should have known about Path of Radiance, but I had no idea it was even a thing until, yeah, no, it, until it, later it, on. And um, they just didn't really market it that well until now. Like, now it's a, it's a Nintendo series staple. But back then, it was, it was a lot more undercover. Very much so. And I think that kind of goes back to what you said there with how Nintendo didn't have faith in us. <laughs> uh, like, like uh, honestly, I think they uh, they kind of did that marketing tactic of like, oh well, well, well. It's like what EA does now with like Nintendo and how they work with Nintendo. It's like, well, I'll wait for someone to like people to buy it to give you more EA games on a Nintendo console. Like right. that's kind of how Nintendo and I guess Intelligent Systems in a bit there as well uh, approach the market. In the sense, it's like, well, we'll put out games for North America when people buy them. But they didn't really market any of these games until I, I would say it was probably the 3DS game is when you really started to hear about Fire Emblem. Like like you said, Mike, we did know about Fire Emblem characters because of Smash Bros. And that was all well and good. But like Zaffir being the prime market for a Fire Emblem game, not hearing <laughs> about it through Nintendo Power, not at, uh, at there was no YouTube back then, but through like an E3 or a magazine or a, a TV commercial. It was through a friend in middle school, which is which yeah. is cool. But but. 
like there was the GameCube version, there were DS versions, there was a Wii version, and all of these games pretty much came and went without any sort of fanfare, you know, fanfare, marketing ploy, like nothing like Pokemon, Mario, Zelda, Metroid, none of those games until the 3DS game really, and that game sold crazy well. And since then, it's been like Nintendo doesn't shut the heck up about Fire Emblem <laughs> since yeah. then. Awakening saved it, yeah. <laughs> Awakening was the awakening of the Fire Emblem series. And for the last <laughs> 10, 10 years or whatever, it's been like every Nintendo Direct, they mention Fire Emblem something. And it's it's every time, like several times a year. There's sometimes two games, three games in like a console generation, which is nuts. Like we don't get that with sometimes with Mario and Zelda. Uh, sometimes Fire Emblem characters now, like they're even, they've taken over the majority of the Smash Bros roster. Like it's basically, yeah, like, I ain't complaining. <laughs> I know, like it's great for you, but it's like for people like me or, you know, people who just want to see more banjo like characters, we're kind of like, great, can we get yeah. anything else other than anime swordsman? But it is funny how it kind of did a 180 in that sense, right? But I mean, even like Roy and Marth in Melee, when I was a kid, I didn't really think much about it, but like thinking about it now, that's a crazy risk because you have, these two characters who are in a North American video game, or like, you know, obviously in Japan too, but in huge selling in North America uh, in 2001. And these two characters literally cannot be played by anyone in North America. Yeah. So I was going to mention that. I forgot to mention that was the second point that pushed me towards the series because other than my friends in middle school being like, hey, have you heard of Fire Emblem? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, I played Melee. And then I'm like, wait, yeah. who are these two cool looking swordsmen? And I had no idea who they were. Like, I just, I was all about Link. And I'm like, who's, who are these guys? Like, and I'm right. like, why are they speaking Japanese only? Yeah. And, and you know, I got really excited because, you know, <laughs> you know, I love my anime swordsman. And from there on, I just, like, was more interested in Fire Emblem. And that was a really smart marketing ploy. But it was mainly for the Japanese audience because at that time, Roy's game was just being released on the GBA in Japan only. Right. And so they were that that was more for the Japanese than us, but you know, it worked out for me because hey, that got me interested. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was definitely an interesting like marketing ploy like nowadays that would never happen, right? Like like you'd, you'd be in a boardroom people be like, "Yo, what what are you doing?" Like <laughs> this makes no sense. Like we're not going to use some random characters from some Japanese game that like sells just in Japan. Like we're going to yeah. use some big character to to market and and push the game out. Because that's kind of how I think of it in, of course, like it's a good for Fire Emblem because you get to see Marth and Roy and get to introduce it to an American audience. But um, but then if you look at it from like Nintendo's perspective, trying to sell Smash, uh, you're, you're banking on having all these unique, interesting Nintendo iconic characters in this mm -hmm. game. And you introduce Roy and Marth from a game that we can't even right. play. Like, <laughs> it's so strange to me, but... Let's get the stats for Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, Neil. I think it's a good time to actually talk about this game. All right, sounds good. Fire Emblem Path of Radiance was released on October 17th, 2005. It's developed by Intelligence Systems, published by Nintendo. This is a GameCube exclusive, rates an 8.5 out of 10, priced today at around $400. It's a tactical RPG, and it sold about 500,000 copies, which, uh, I mean, love it or hate it, that's, uh, that's okay for a GameCube game, but I'm sure Nintendo is expecting better. But, Zaffer, what are your first memories of playing this game? Were you in high school at this point? I actually went back, right, because I told you I went from hearing right. about it on the GBA to actually buying my first one on the Wii. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, what if I missed out on the series now? And so I went back and I saw that Path of Radiance was on the GameCube. And I'm like, okay, I got to check this out, right? So I, I played it and it was 
very, very fun. And because I would say for Fire Emblem as a whole, up until that point, the story has been, it's been decent, right? Like it's there mm-hmm. to progress and you care about the characters, but it's nothing extremely gripping or right. in-depth. And mm-hmm. that's when they changed everything in Path of Radiance because that was the first 3D home console Fire Emblem game and they wanted to go hard. They wanted to leave an impact. So Path of Radiance has like this incredible cast of very deep and intellectual characters and there's so many interactions with these characters with other characters and like it's so rich you know the setting and the plot everything is very rich and you you feel for these people and that's why if you talk to any Fire Emblem fan you know they'll be like yeah okay I don't like that game or I like that game more but if you tell them about Path of Radiance and if they've played Path of Radiance they'll be like yeah that was a good game like it's unanimously across the board as a good Fire Emblem game <laughs> for that reason alone. I mean, basically every Fire Emblem game has quite good ratings. Like there's uh, maybe Echoes would be uh, Shadows of Valencia has like the lowest rating on just through Metacritic and Shadow uh, yeah. Dragon as well has a bit of a lower rating. But like, Yeah, I can understand why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously Awakening is the highest rating because of the popularity around it. And um, Blazing Blade is very high rated and Path of Radiance too. Like uh, these games uh, traditionally are rated highly for... Uh, obviously a lot of different reasons i think that's something that fire emblem does really well is that uh, not every game is going to have a perfect story and perfect gameplay and have everything you want but there's always at least one part of the game that you're like yeah i really connected with that yeah and for path of radiance i would definitely say it's ike like <clears throat> ike as the main character yes um because basically every fire emblem main character is some kind of noble or they have some kind of like you know main character-esque thing to them ike is just a regular guy and he he goes from being a regular kid to this grandoise you know <laughs> badass like and and people can connect with that because they're you know he's just an average joe who becomes something amazing he's just like mario you know he's yeah. just like a regular <laughs> plumber <laughs> I just, just a like regular mario plumber. Plumber. <laughs> we've all been there <laughs> Ike the plumber <laughs> that's awesome no but it, it's it's true like uh I, I think ike is uh definitely a fan favorite and like uh, it, it was really nice that they put him in smash like right afterwards as well yeah. on the wii he totally deserves it yeah yeah, yeah good for him <laughs> i think that kind of that kind of boosted the ike popularity and uh uh, and then, of course, the the game prices. So, you do you own the GameCube version of this game? Oh no, I uh, Nintendo wouldn't like what I mm. did. Don't <laughs> <laughs> no worry, Nintendo didn't like what I did uh, this week too to play it because, uh, <laughs> as Neil said earlier on the show, it's going for basically uh, close to four hundred dollars yep. now, which yeah, is just that's, look as much as of a good game it is. That is not worth it <laughs> like, like when i started when i started getting into collecting back in 2012 2013 this game was expensive then and it was maybe 150 to 200 and that was considered a pricey gamecube game like 200 bucks and yeah. i was like well that's that's out of my price range maybe it'll go down and here we are it's uh doubled in price in the last 10 years so oh, i don't know i i know like i don't know how high it's going to go because from from an outsider like me, like I would, I would rather play any of the new Fire Emblem games rather than spend four hundred dollars on this old one. Because for me, Zaffir, you're gonna hate me for this, but I, I wouldn't need the story in these games to get through. Like I, 
I, oh, that, that's okay. I played, I, played, <laughs> I played Awakening from start to finish. I beat that game, actually, and I spammed A through the entire story. <laughs> I beat that game in, like, in like seven hours because <laughs> I, just, I just played the missions. Like, I just went through the map. I played the missions, and I was like, why do people love this? And then I talked to you about it, finding out that you're a huge fan of it, and it's because of the story. And I was like, oh, that's what I was skipping through. I, I didn't <laughs> well, realize. Well, for, for Path of Radiance, it's the story. But the yes. gameplay is what keeps everyone going, including yes. me. I do really me. like the gameplay, and I think that that's why I'm going to love when um, the Advance Wars finally comes out on Switch. I think that I'm going to like that so much because it's basically – it's a lot like Fire Emblem in terms of the gameplay, the grid-based combat. It's a turn-based tactical RPG. It's definitely going to pull me in. But one of the things that makes Fire Emblem special or popular is uh, what or was the introduction for a lot of people to the permadeath mechanic. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because that was something uh-huh. that I had never really heard of until I played Fire Emblem. Did that turn you off the series at all? Or was that something that you really enjoy about it? What do you think about the, the idea of permadeath in the Fire Emblem series? I like the idea of it, but I don't respect mm. it. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> because... Yeah. Because here's the thing, okay? There's obviously some RNG involved in Fire Emblem because, you know, like any RPG, there's a bit of luck in the system. Um, It's not like a pure focused system like chess, right? There's no RNG in chess. It's all like your movements. But, you know, there's hit rate, there's critical rate, there's, um, you know, weapons that can change and alter these stats, and you have classes as well. Like there's so many things, right? So there's going to be some luck involved. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this, okay? I was playing <laughs> Fire Emblem Fates and I was doing a very difficult mission and I needed one more turn before I would win. So I'm like, okay, good. I struggled this far. I can do this. And then right before the mission ended, an enemy unit walks up to one of my archers and they had a 3% crit rate and it propped and my character died. <laughs> so I had to restart oh. the entire mission because of that 3% proc. And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so, some of the newer games, though, give you the option to toggle that, right? Like, you can turn off the permanent. Yes. Yeah, so they've added yes. that. Yeah, and I'm actually one of those people. Like, yeah, if, I, I, if, if someone dies, I will reset, but they give you save states now. You don't have to do the whole mission. You can turn yeah. back, like, three turns, two turns. Like, in Three Houses, the most recent Fire Emblem, they, they know people do that, like right. me. So they're like, okay, we'll give you a rewind mechanic. It's okay. It's more accessible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that that's a good call. And I think that that was one of the reasons why, and that might be one of the reasons why Fire Emblem doesn't click with me is because I'm going to bring up Pikmin here. And everybody, everybody, <laughs> everybody talks about Pikmin being like this unforgiving game where it's like you have a 30 day limit and then the game, it's over. It, it sucks. Like, you know, it's not playable. Like, you know, you can't, it, it's, you know, there's this time limit and it just makes the game not fun. Meanwhile, Fire Emblem has permadeath and it sells billions of copies. It's like, yeah. where where's the line? <laughs> it's funny because that's actually why Pikmin stressed me out. Yeah, you were the one who we talked about this with. You were like, yeah, Pikmin stresses yeah. me out. It's got that 30-day limit. I've got this day-night cycle. But you love Fire Emblem. And if your characters <laughs> die in Fire Emblem, Pikmin. We can turn a, it off, baby. You can turn it off. If a Pikmin dies, you can grow 50 more in two seconds. And Fire Emblem, you're like 35 hours deep. And if your character dies, you got to start again or something. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, the mission yeah. or the save state. You know what? I think it's a little bit something with, like, the warfare aspect of it. Maybe. This is just me spitballing. But, like, I feel like because Pikmin is, like. It's war. <sighs> It's war. <laughs> it's it's like it's a calm game by nature, but then also like a stressful game, if you know what I mean. Yeah. 
uh, like in terms of the environment, the setting, the music, everything like that. It's it's uh, like Miyamoto wanted it to be gardening, really, as a game. Uh, that was kind of the idea of it. Where where uh, Fire Emblem is definitely glorified chess with some RNG and warfare involved, right? And mm-hmm. and obviously a story. So I think it, it, I I get like why people would be more stressed out about something like Pikmin, where you're kind of lulled into this false sense of security in this uh, calming environment, and then you're like, oh my god, I have to like manage everything. Uh, where uh, Fire Emblem is like, I'm at war. It's chess. Like I I have to like make sure I do everything perfectly. Like I I have all yeah. my stuff set up already you're kind of like you you know that there's a possibility that you can die here uh and obviously being able to turn off the permadeath is huge now and the rewind function so uh that's one thing i do give fire Emblem a lot of credit is that the games especially since awakening definitely learn from each other and like learn from past mistakes not necessarily yes. past mistakes but like how people play the game like you said zaffer absolutely yeah one thing I never knew about Fire Emblem Zephyr, maybe you can uh, answer this for me. Why are there so many different art styles in the game itself? Like, you know what I mean? Like how there's, like, you know, like there's 3D animated characters and then it goes to 2D in scenes, like almost like it's a comic book. Is that just something that the fan base likes or is that a Japanese thing? Oh, okay. So that's an RPG thing. Okay. They like to do that. Um, like you, you'll have your 2D portraits and then you have your 3D models. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just very typical of any kind of rpg like you'll play like the tales series for example or you'll play xenom well actually xenom doesn't do it xenom is different but um <laughs> but yeah for the most part yeah even like uh i think we talked about that on i forget what game it was neil that actually did that recently and we were comparing it a bit to fire emblem but then i was comparing it to yakuza uh me playing yakuza zero for the first time uh quite recently uh last year uh they do the same kind of thing they have these very different animation styles depending on the cutscenes. if it's a really serious cutscene, then you get the full right. 3d animated yeah you know, uh, the budget style. <laughs> yeah the budget the budget comes <laughs> yeah. in uh but then when it's something like uh you know you're doing some side mission no one cares about it just kind of like back and forth kind of shots of the characters with a little bit of mouth movement. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. you know, you have to allocate your resources accordingly. Yeah, and I think it's a smart way to do it, and I really enjoyed how Yakuza did it. And I, I hadn't really experienced it too much before because I haven't played a lot of uh, RPGs. So I, I also like how Fire Emblem does it, I'm watching footage. Um, my other question about this game, about Path of Radiance, is, and you talked about the story as definitely a defining part of it, but what other than the story makes this game worth going back to in 2022? I would say it's just a solid gaming experience. Um, the like Every Fire Emblem has its core mechanic with some variations between the games to spice it up. And right. Path of Radiance just has a lot of good mechanics. Like, like some mechanics in other games are questionable and people will be like, that was weird. But in Path of Radiance, there's nothing really like that. Like, it's just, it's solid. It's well-designed. Um, the maps are very well-designed as well. Uh, like, you can't, you can't not like it unless you don't like the core gameplay. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a tight experience overall. I think the proper thing to say is, like, you can't not appreciate it. Like, I can see not liking it. Like, the game not being for me. It's The game's not for me. But I can even appreciate, like, this game is... Pound for pound, like it's really good. Oh yeah, no, like, no. And no. What I mean is, yeah, if you don't, if you're not into tactical RPGs, that's yeah. something separate. But if if you're into, yeah, that kind of stuff, I I can see like, it's just a clean experience. <laughs> 
yeah like even from an outsider's yeah. perspective like the ui is really tight like the graphics are okay like but the combat is great like you said the maps are very well thought out there's tons of information on screen for you everything makes sense everything's clearly defined in terms of stats mm-hmm. and descriptions and like how many turns do you have left how many items do you have how much hp do you have like it all makes a lot of sense so yeah i, I totally agree that like you can look back on this game 20 years later and still admit like if this was on a phone or something like you would think it was made now you would think it's a modern game really yeah it's it's a an experience that you know if you like tactical rpgs i feel like everyone should try it out sweet yeah. for 400 dollars <laughs> for, for not 40 dollars I, I was about to say not 40 bucks <laughs> yeah that is definitely the probably the biggest drawback on this game uh, in general and the reason why people haven't gone back to it too much but my my last question for you zaffer would be just on the price on on that price point and kind of figuring why it's gone up so much and like the price that it is now because even looking at something like radiant dawn you know radiant dawn actually sold less than path of radiance and it was on the wii uh and uh that is one of the most expensive wii games i've ever seen for sure but it's only about 130 dollars compared to the 400 dollars for path of radiance for gamecube so why do you think that is so i i know why and it's because Radiant Dawn was a rush product. While Path of Radiance, they had they had the time and resources to make it very well defined and refined. Radiant Dawn was rushed. It's unbalanced, and the story beats are very strange for most people. Hmm. So it's gotten less ratings. It's 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 objectively a less refined product as well. Even though I personally love it still, um, yeah. So people are very split. On rainy, on rainy dawn, but you you look at Path of Radiance and everyone's like, yeah, that's a solid fire movie game, hundred percent. So so it's got a it's got a much higher reputation. Do you ever see any of these older GameCube and maybe Wii games coming back in terms of like a remake or anything? Because it doesn't seem like Nintendo's ever done Fire Emblem remasters or anything. Do you think that there's a chance that we'll see Path of Radiance again on modern hardware as a port or a remake? Well, actually, they have done remasters. They remade Mart's games yes. on the DS. Yeah. And oh, they yeah. they remade Sh- Shadows of Valencia was originally Fire Emblem Two, mm-hmm. and then they remade it from the ground up. But I can't see them remaking Path of Radiance because they have so many other like we'll be like eighty years old before that's even considered. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I I can see them remaking like the SNES games that are only in Japan still, yeah. or Roy's right. game, which is also still only in Japan. So, you know, maybe in the very, very, very far future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, I can see the Japanese ones being remade and ported to American consoles. Like you said, the DS game. I, I would just like to see some of these older North American games, like put the GameCube game out again, like make it look a little prettier and update the graphics and make the Wii game again, make it better, fix it. Like, like take some of the fans feedback and make it again. Like we live mm-hmm. in a time where game, you can do that with video games. So I think I think we could. There's a chance we'll see these games come back again. Like you said, maybe when we're 80. I look forward to playing them then. <laughs> yeah, I'll get back to you when we're older. We, yeah. we also have Sweet. some precedent too on that though. We have Tales of Symphonia, which just got announced recently, is coming back, uh, getting a remaster. Of course, that was a GameCube game around the same time as Path of Radiance, uh, and we have Advanced Wars. Uh, which at some point will get released, I guess. Uh, that's an intelligent systems game. Uh, of course, the same dev as Fire Emblem. Uh, that, uh, you know, in my opinion, I would have never thought we would get an, like a, uh, an Advanced Wars remake. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, you never yeah. know. I would love to see it. Yeah, because Ike deserves 
all the love. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. But Zephyr, thank you very much for coming on today. We always love having you, especially to talk about some Fire Emblem. Is there anything else you want to say before we let you go? Uh, I just got to say, I'm looking forward to Fire Emblem Engage on the Switch coming out in January. I'm buying that day one. And whoever's listening, you got to buy that too. <laughs> <laughs> Zephyr, the official spokesperson for Fire Emblem and Nintendo. We'd love to have him. Damn straight. <laughs> Damn straight. Uh, and uh, Engage will be very special because uh, it is going to be the first Fire Emblem to ever be on the same home console in North America or Europe. So... Uh, pretty oh, cool. That's interesting. Yeah, because yeah, they never, you know, we only had one for the Wii. We only had one for GameCube. We had nothing for the Wii U. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> now we have two on the Switch, three houses, and Engage coming out soon. That's right. So, uh, yeah, definitely pick that up when uh, it comes out. But yes, once again, Zaffer, thank you very much for coming on, and uh, we'll see you very soon, probably for the Tales episode. I would be totally <laughs> down. Thank you for so much for having me. <laughs> of course, man. See you soon. Take care. Bye. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you very much, Zaffer, for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Always has so much great insight into the Fire Emblem world, of course. Zaffer is the biggest Fire Emblem fan I know. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going to have another great Fire Emblem fan coming on soon, Neil. But um, I, it's really nice to kind of hear all his takes on like the early... Fire Emblem, what happened uh, with Japan, you know, and how <laughs> they didn't even want us, basically. Like, they didn't, yeah. uh, the Japanese didn't want to bring it over. Intelligent Systems and Nintendo didn't want to bring it over to North America, which is just crazy to me. And, uh, and yeah, we, you know, here we are, what, like 15 games later? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it is funny to think, like, at one point, Japan didn't think we could handle Fire Emblem, and they even showed that with the first game, with the Path of Radiance, that even the Japanese version has that extra difficulty level. I think it's called Insane or something, and we just have Easy, Medium, and Hard, so they even lightened up the difficulty level for us, too, with that first game. So, But yeah, it's really fun to talk to Zaffer about a game that he's so passionate about. Like He's one of our friends that goes with us to the cottage every year, and I remember one year... One summer, he uh, he just played Fire Emblem like for the entire time. I don't remember which one it, it was. Whatever the first one was on Switch, but we were sitting, we were we were hanging out on the beach, you know, throwing the football around, and he was sitting on uh, on a log or on his uh, lawn chair playing Fire Emblem in the sun. I don't know how the hell he saw it on that screen, but man, he really loves that series. So glad he could come on to finally talk about something right in his wheelhouse. But anyways, Mike, I think that there's another caller joining the show today. So uh, why don't you welcome them onto the show? All right, Neil, joining us today is the second guest of the show, uh, my friend Matt Walsher. We're really happy to have him on today. I know he's a big Fire Emblem fan. And our first question to you, Matt, would be, who is your favorite Fire Emblem character of all time? All time? That's a tough one. There's so many good ones. Like, Three Houses had amazing characters. But, like, I have to say, Fates was, like, revolutionary to me. And Camilla from, like, Fates was definitely one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Mm. And and why why is she your favorite? What makes her her above everyone? She is like a badass bitch, but she's also like busty, and she's like very notorious for that. So like, and also she's like, aren't they, aren't they all busty? But though? she's like, if, have you seen a picture of her? She's like in particular like very. But also like, I love flying units, and she's like a wyvern mm. knight. So like, love that. Like she's like com- okay. combination of everything, and she's also got like purple hair, which I love purple hair. So the cosplay for her must be unreal at these expos. Any oh, yeah. Fire Emblem character 100%. really like it basically basically writes itself what you can do with these characters, but. Uh... They set you up big with those busty girls in these games. Oh, my God. 
Oh, but of course, we did bring uh, on Matt to talk about uh, Path of Radiance and Fire Emblem as a whole. So before I actually get into the game itself, what kind of got you into Fire Emblem as a series? So I'll have to give a shout out to my brother, Peter, because he's the one in our family who like really, he's like the real gamer. And like, I wouldn't really probably play this series if it wasn't for him getting me into it. So I'd for sure say him. Uh, But like, I'd say like, with Path of Radiance, I remember watching it, like wa- like playing it at friends' houses and stuff. But like, I didn't actually start playing the series until Shadow Dragon, mm. um, with like the remake on DS, and then um, and then I remember playing like Awakening and Path of Radiance and stuff. But like, like I think Awakening is what really got me into it. Was like all the like the game mechanic changes in that game. Like it just like totally sold me. Yeah, I think you and everyone else. I mean, Awakening was the game to to be playing at that time. Uh, I think that came out like when we were in first year university, and uh, that was mm-hmm. like pretty game changing. Uh, like I even played Awakening. I had never really played any Fire Emblem uh, games at this point. So, and I, I I remember like all kinds of people I knew that really weren't into gaming uh, were playing Awakening and like had 3ds's to play it, and that was really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it only sold like 2.5 million copies, but in my mind, Awakening sold like 30 million <laughs> yeah like everybody had it like yeah, you bought it with pokemon and mario like it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> i bought it i bought it too like it got me off the bench and to play this game and i enjoyed it just for the strategy alone i really had no idea that there was even a story in these games i skipped through the entire story of awakening and just played the levels because i loved like coming up with uh, strategies to play each uh each map it was really fun but uh never jump back into any of the new ones maybe you and zaffir have both talked pretty highly about fates before maybe i should one day check that one out but i'll borrow it from somebody <laughs> fates is amazing you have to play it for sure like in my opinion this is maybe controversial but like awakening was revolutionary it was amazing but then fates took all of that and just like upped it the ante like so much and so like when i think about replaying games like i'd rather play fates over awakening for sure yeah mm, okay that's that's actually a, a really good point i feel like i i've also heard that as well with fates being the more replayable mm-hmm. game rather than the, where yeah like awakening was like the groundbreaking game at the time but um and then shadow dragon I, that's the one that i i never hear much about i know it, it's technically the remake from the the original like famicom 1990 fire emblem game uh and it that one didn't sell well it actually had really poor sales which made awakening it was supposed to i'm not sure if you know this map but awakening was supposed to be the final fire emblem game because of the poor sales of shadow dragon seriously i didn't know that well obviously that backfired i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like, probably disappointed make a really good game. It, it, it sold well and then they're like oh crap we gotta we gotta make more of these and now it's like an annual damn we have to do more <laughs> <laughs> we overdid it we overdid it <laughs> oh. And yeah. so I guess then you went back and played Path of Radiance after playing Awakening? Yeah, so I don't know why, but like these Path of Radiance came up first. But like, and I remember like watching it first, but like we just didn't buy it even though we had GameCube. Like we just didn't get it until much later. Um like I forget when we got it. Like I feel like we even got it probably after Awakening even. Um I don't know why. We probably just like got it at one of like a GameStop or mm-hmm. something, but um like yeah, so yeah, played Shadow Dragon. I like I remember liking Shadow Dragon, playing it a few times, but there's like, I don't really remember it too much because the other games just like overshadow it too. But the one thing I remember is the tutorial level at the beginning. Um, it's like a pretty cool tutorial and that like it like teaches you things or whatever. But at the end, you have to sacrifice one of your characters that you oh. got, which I thought was a really cool choice you have to make. But what I hated about the game, which made me not want to replay it much, is that like my favorite character from the tutorial levels, if you play not in the like normal mode 
and you play hard level, they automatically sacrifice him. Oh. And I was like, no! <laughs> so I, like, I could only play with him if I wasn't playing hard. So then I would just didn't want to replay it as much. <laughs> that's really interesting. That's like a really bold move for a game to like <laughs> tutorial. Yeah. It's like, sorry, got to <laughs> sacrifice someone. It's like playing Pokemon and like having your, like, like choosing one of the starters. It's like, okay, now you have to kill Chikorita. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. No one picked Chikorita. <laughs> yeah. That's in, that's intense. That's such a great way, though, to get you into the game, though, like invested in the characters because it teaches you the whole permadeath thing, which is what makes the series so makes it stand out so much is like get attached to your characters, but also don't at the same time, because when you lose them, that's yeah. it. Like, it's a great way to teach you about it. It gets you attached to this character in the tutorial. Like the tutorials in all of these games are all pretty well mm-hmm. done. They're pretty long, pretty meaty. It teaches you because there's a lot to learn in these games, like especially if you've never played a, a strategy RPG before. You've got to learn about all the different stats of your characters and whatnot. So did you have like a certain, I guess, build to go in with? Like, did you have a certain character that you love to level up and to use when you played this game? Or did you just kind of just go in blind? I can't remember exactly initially, but like I for sure love like mages. I've always loved mages in any kind mm-hmm. of game. But like I find my favorite characters in these games are always the flyers because they're just so like you can just do so much with them and like they're not as like I don't know. Like I just love I loved like the peg knights because they're always women and they're always fierce. And like so I always loved peg knights, but like at the beginning of the games, the first one's always pretty weak, so you have to like really put a lot of effort into them, which like was kind of annoying. But like then like then they're always worth it later. But then like I really love like Wyvern Riders because they're like they're like badass flying units. Uh, it's like they're de- easily my favorite uh, because like they got axes and they're usually stronger and stuff. Um, so like I'd say like those ones for sure. Like when I was playing like like I'm actually just started re- like a new game in Three Houses and I'm obsessed with the series. <laughs> but like in one of my paths on um, Three Houses, I basically had like a pretty much all Wyvern team. Like they were like all flying units pretty much, and I, I just like destroyed everybody. It was the best. <laughs> Because like you just like no one no one can stop you and, and they they're like that overpowered as well in Path of Radiance yeah so um like so the thing with Path of Radiance like it's like uh, original game mechanics and stuff right so like every character kind of has their class and like that's it like you just like that's all they can be whereas like later on in three houses like you can just like you can pick whatever class you want them to be right so then i can like switch people who aren't usually like a flying class into a flying class uh but yeah so with path of radiance there's definitely a bunch of flying units because like one of the things that makes this game unique is that they have the lagoos so like the half uh like beast half human Mm -hmm. uh characters and so like there's like cats um there's birds and then there's dragons um so like like there's all there's like a bunch of peg knights that you get like a few wyvern riders you get but then also these like ravens and uh, hawks and other characters so there's a lot of flying units too and like i loved those as well now did you ever go back and play the games pre path of radiance or is this the oldest fire emblem game that you've played because i think the ones before this were all japanese i don't know if it's worth playing in english but did yeah there was two Game Boy Advance games that did come to North America, and I did play them on emulators, but, like, briefly. I never okay. actually beat them or anything, but, like, I remember playing Shadow Dragon and being like, oh, I want to play these other ones, but, like, um, they were called Sacred Stones, and then I think the first one was Blazing Sword or something? Blazing Blade. Yeah. Blazing Blade, that one, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, because those ones, like, those ones, they did bring to North America, I think, but I didn't yeah. actually, like, buy the cartridge. I just, like, played on emulators. And I actually was, like, while preparing for this, I was like, I want to play Sacred Stones again and, like, remember what that was like. <laughs> and, like, I was a fan of an emulator and, like, the tutorial, it's, like, 95% dialogue. And like I was like I just want to I just want to battle. <laughs> oh 
God. <laughs> like, stop talking. <laughs> uh, which is, like, notorious for this game. Like, so much dialogue. These games are notoriously wordy, for <laughs> sure. Absolutely. And this being the first game in 3D, like, all the games before it on Game Boy Advance and uh, Super Famicom and Famicom in Japan, they were all 2D-based games. So this was the developer's first chance of making a game fully in 3D. Well, fully, quote-unquote. It's mainly just a few <laughs> cutscenes that are in 3D. And then the overworld map, which... Love it or hate it, graphics a little bit rough was their first shot at 3D, kind of like Ocarina of Time or Mario 64. This is Fire Emblem's Ocarina mm-hmm. of Time, if you will. What did you think of the voice acting uh, from the characters? Because from an outsider's perspective, I don't know if this is like constant with the whole series. Seemed a little bit stiff. Yeah, it's interesting. So with Path of Radiance, I thought it was funny because like I like one of the things I love about Path of Radiance and why I like would replay it is like it was the first time it really got brought to the big screen, like you said. And so it was so cool. And like the cutscenes were actually right. like pretty good graphics, yeah. com- like compared to like what the game was. Because, yeah. Like especially most of the dialogue in the game, it's like very two dimensional. It's like two like flat pert people just like talking to each other. <laughs> um, and so it's like it's like such a juxtaposition. Yeah. But like I love these cutscenes. They were like I thought the cutscenes were so well done. And there's one near the beginning that like is always like I think about it all the time with the the first time I think it's the first time you see the Black Knight and then he like spoiler he kills Ike's yeah. dad. Uh, and like just like that whole scene where he's like do you want to die? Like that was like iconic that yeah. line to me. I still think about it to this day. Like it's so good. It's a hard task bringing like a, a franchise like this that had never seen 3D in any way and mm-hmm. doing it like those yeah those cutscenes there aren't too many of them but the ones the cutscenes are pretty badass like I know exactly which one you're talking about there and They're it does great. get you pretty hyped for the game because it's like it's yeah. you know we talked about the story a little bit with Zaffir earlier on but the the whole idea. Uh, that we finally have a character who's not like royalty or uh, or tied to some long dynasty. Like you talked about how in one of those games where it's like the tutorial is like so long. Where this one, the tutorial actually doesn't have the big historical background and everything that we see in a lot of Fire Emblem games. Uh, for Path of Radiance, you kind of just are talking to your dad and uh yeah black knight mm-hmm. comes you know so it's just like it's it's pretty quick in that way you, you know you learn th- with him uh, sparring with him uh a little bit which which helps and kind of gets you into the game but yeah i i really like that you know we finally have a commoner with with ike and it makes him you know quite relatable and i think right. uh, i'm not sure about you matt but i i i often hear that ike is like the the one of the best characters in terms of main characters in the entire series Oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really, like, I feel like I don't talk to many people who, like, also play these games. <laughs> well, so I don't really know. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I think he was a good one for sure. Like, I definitely liked him better than Marth. Um, it's like, like the, yeah, the ones that were, like, like Shadow, uh, yeah, Marth and Shadow Dragon. I just find him just, like, I don't know. I guess you're right. This is the first commoner, and that's an interesting, I didn't think about that, but it, it add, does add, add a good element to it. It, it, it kind of like has to rid us of, of the backstory that we constantly get in these Fire Emblem games that kind of, at least for someone like me who's more of an outsider to it, gets dragged down by it. I, I, I compare this game to the Lord of the Rings, the Third Age, because uh, Lord of the Rings, Third Age does the same thing, right? It's like, look you know you're playing a Lord of the Rings game, mm-hmm. all right? Like, we're just going to we're, we're gonna throw you into this world, and it's not t- technically based on the movies, and you're just going to have fun, and you're going to learn that way. And I, and Fire Emblem, or uh, Path of Radiance is is like that. Obviously, there's still a lot of dialogue and a lot of text to scroll through, but it's not as harsh in the beginning as some of the other games in the series. Mm-hmm. The story itself is also really deep. Like, uh, we don't have to go too deep into it because the Fire Emblem story is 
endless <laughs> and the lore is, is quite deep but the the overbearing theme of the whole story is actually racism in this mm-hmm. game which is kind of cool there's the lagus group which they they consider or they're called like filthy subhumans and they have like derogatory terms against them so it's a pretty it's a pretty dark tone for a nintendo game of all things like i'm surprised that they let them do that like we talked a few weeks ago about um beyond good and evil and this is kind of in the same vein as that where it's dealing with some pretty mature topics uh, which is neat. I'm not sure if all the other games have any have quite the same theme to them. Uh, Matt, maybe you can touch on that. But uh, were you able to pick up on the storyline for these games, or is it more like the relationships and the, the characters themselves? Yeah, like I like that was definitely a huge theme in this one, and like it's very like they make it very obvious, which I like thought was interesting. Um, yeah, like I remember one of my favorite of the Lugus characters, like Mordecai. You get him near the beginning, and I just remember he's like this big oafy guy, and I'm just like, oh, like why are people mean to him? <laughs> like he's so sweet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, like like you don't see that. Yeah, it's sad, right? Uh, but it's funny because like his like his I don't know partner or whatever. I forget her name, like Lethe or something. I don't know how to pronounce her name. But, like she's a cat too, uh, and like she's more like defensive, like. I don't know, like, she's been through you know? And where he's more like, oh, okay, I don't know. I, I really like him, he's cute. But yeah, I don't know, like, you don't really see that. I mean, you sort of do see, like, the racism theme again back in Three Houses. I don't think you see it again um, between that, though. Uh, because, like, I do find, like, in Three Houses, I don't okay. know if you guys, guys have played it, but, like, um, there is, like, they talk about these other places that aren't part of the, like, I don't know, the three countries or whatever that like make up the mm-hmm. core like where you're actually playing uh, but like the mm-hmm. all of the people who aren't from there are more like dark-skinned or like um like don't speak english properly or whatever you know and then there's like a there's like a inferiority to them or whatever right and so like they definitely mm-hmm. have that element back um in three houses which i thought was interesting as well they don't really get too much into it but like, it's like an underlying theme for sure and there's always like the nobility versus commoner as well uh, especially in the three houses yeah yes yeah yeah, it's I mean like the game itself is it, it feels it feels quite more mature and even like the dialogue. I know JPRGs and like this kind of uh genre, the dialogue is always can be a bit cringy and you just kind of look past it. Like I think of uh Octopath Traveler or the um, Xenoblade, you know, they it's it's a little too anime sometimes for me. I honestly didn't mind the dialogue at all in this in this game. Uh I think it was like hmm. it wasn't as as bad as I thought it was going to be. There's actually like yeah like the mature themes help a lot too mm-hmm. and and I was honestly like wanting to see what would come next like the story does kind of grip you and the fact that they did that I was you know I did a little research too and was like well why like why did they put so much effort into this this story and making it honestly like real uh, one of the big things was the fact that you have the reset ability now in this game and the developers really wanted you to be able to identify and connect with the characters uh, so that you would be really, really upset when they died. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it worked with Matt when they, uh, when they killed his favorite character in the, uh, (laughs) I know. (laughs) But yeah, they they did, they did do a lot of work in translating like all Mm -hmm. the dialogue and the story, the localization team for Fire Emblem. Like they, they do need a a big shout out them. Like we talked a lot about uh, on Animal Crossing too. And on that episode, how that took a ton of dialogue and jokes needed to be translated and needed to work in both Japan and then in North America. They spent several months translating the the Japanese script into North American and having it all make sense. They also had a challenge. I don't know why they had to do this, but they needed to match the same number of text boxes in the Japanese version in the North American version. So they had like this added challenge on top of all of it, like trying to make the characters sound like people talk in North America, which sometimes 
they don't quite hit it, but sometimes they do. They also needed it to be roughly the same amount of dialogue in both versions of the game, which is kind of neat. So basically, if you play this game in in Japan or if you play this game in North America, they wanted it to be as similar as an experience as uh, as possible. But even with all the time to localize it, the time that they spent developing the game, unfortunately, I think it was a little bit rushed. Uh, even at the time that the game came out, everybody loved the gameplay style and they loved the characters. They loved the story. The main critic or the main uh, the, the main critique against the game was the graphics, which we've talked a little bit about. We love the cutscenes. I think the cutscenes are really good. The 2D art style, too, is really nice when the characters are talking to each other and it's more like a comic mm-hmm. book style. But the, the, uh, the graphics, when you're actually playing the game, exploring the maps and fighting look a little bit rough. I know that we've we haven't really covered a lot of RPGs on this podcast before, but this game looks like like I was looking at gameplay of Yu-Gi-Oh, the Falsebound Kingdom that we talked about like last year, and honestly I think that game looks better than Fire Emblem does. Um so it's kind of too bad this is like a first party Nintendo game. It's the first 3D game in a big series and it, it just doesn't look quite right and uh uh, Nari Hero, who's the one of the main developers on the game, considers Path of Radiance to be 70% complete. Mm. Not quite sure what he means by that, but I have to imagine that a lot of that last 30% is the graphical fidelity of this game, which is why I think that Path of Radiance is primed to get remade and revamped for the Switch. Yeah, I think that would be cool. Like, I was thinking about it, like, if they did make mm. a remake, because they have made a few remakes, um, so it's not out of the question for sure, but like... I just wonder, like, like since, I mean, I feel like since Awakening, like, there's Awakening, and then Fates, and then Three Houses, and each of those games really, like, um, has changed the game mechanics a lot more, and, like, they've introduced new things and things like that, but, and I don't think they've had a remake since all of that, so I'd be curious how a remake would work now that the game has changed so much. So I was thinking about in that mm-hmm. way, because, like, you'd have to, like, like, either, like, you you're stick true to the original game, or you, like... Um, add all those game mechanics into this and like make it work somehow like incorporate it somehow because um, like yeah I don't know it'd be interesting because, like there's a bunch of game mechanics from like Path of Radiance as well like biorhythm and things like that that like you never saw again and I didn't understand what it was when it was there <laughs> um, so I'm like would they keep that kind of stuff or would they just kind of modernize mm-hmm. it I don't know like just keep the story modernize it I don't know what it would look like but I, I would like to see it mm-hmm it would be it would be really cool. Like we're getting Fire Emblem Engage coming out in January of 2023. Mm-hmm. I feel like that that will be the Fire Emblem game next year. Maybe we'll get another one of those Musou style games. But it'd be sweet if we had like in 2024, maybe on Switch or a cross platform with whatever Nintendo's next console is if they come out with that in 2024 to have path of radiance and radiant dawn being like a two for pack and mm-hmm. make it in modern day graphics maybe keep the gameplay style the same or add some of those nice quality of life things that we've had in the last 20 years but i think that like a combo pack would be a really cool thing to do for switch or the switch 2 or whatever comes out next i know like you said that there's been a lot of differences in gameplay so it might be hard to go back to those older style games but I mean, Fire Emblem fans are very, uh, they're, they're very dedicated fan base. They're very passionate about this series. So I feel like if it were to be a downgrade in terms of some of the ways that you play the game, I think that they'd probably be accepting to it, knowing that mm-hmm. it is a remake and a remaster and not like, this is the way the series is going forward. Kind of more like a history piece of like, here's how it used to be. And you don't have to spend $400 to buy it. I think that those are two yes. <laughs> huge selling points on, a, on an old expensive game. Yeah, no, that's interesting to think about. I actually never played <clears throat> Radiant Dawn, so like it would be cool if they packaged it together like that. Yeah, not a lot of people did. <laughs> I was gonna say you and no and everyone else. Yeah, it did not sell well, and it's uh, often regarded as one of the, the 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 worst critical games, I guess, in the series. But uh, my my last two questions to you here, Matt, would be it's kind of double 
question is, why is it worth playing? Why is Path of Radiance worth playing in 2022? And why wouldn't it be? You know, what 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 uh, would you would have liked to see improved in this game? Um, so I do think it's worth playing again. I was like, when I think about the games that I would replay, it would be like Three Houses, Fates, and Path of Radiance. Because to me, Path of Radiance is a great example of like what the original series like was and it has like all the best elements i feel like and it's not really overshadowed because like there wasn't oh i mean i feel like three houses was like the next most modern 3d experience but it's such a different game that it's not really overshadowed by that so for sure for me like like i wouldn't play shadow dragon again i would go back for path of radiance um and like i wouldn't really want to play the Game Boy Advance games because like they're just it's just too far back um so in that sense it's like and like also like there's something about it being on the big screen that just like captures your attention more um and like makes you feel like you're really part of the story and I think that's like worth it so like for me if you want to like if you started at Awakening and you want to go back and see the original series I would 100% Path of Radiance would be the one I'd recommend for sure nice yeah and like there are some features that like didn't need to be there like i mentioned the biorhythm whatever but like i felt like the story is really long usually Mm. these fire emblem games i find they are like 18 to 24 chapters sort of like around there that's kind of like the sweet spot this one's like 28 29 or something i forget and i find like whenever i've replayed it i'm so into it and then i hit like like 17 is a very long chapter it's like three parts um and then once i'm done that i'm almost at chapter 20 that's when i kind of start losing interest even though the story's good it's just like i kind of just want to play something else at this point like i'm like i'm almost so like i felt like it dragged on too much and like also with the heavy dialogue it's kind of that too it's like you have to invest so much time into it so like you can't just like play this pick this up for 20 minutes like that's something with this whole series it's like you sink hours into it at a time you can't just like you know pick it up here and there um it's like you kind of have to sit down with it for a while and like yeah yeah that's yeah. part of it <laughs> like there like it, it does feel like it drags a bit near the end yeah according to how long to beat the game is 33 hours from start to finish or if you're going for a completionist run it's more like 40 to 45 matt i have a tip for you though if you want to play these games quickly cut out all the dialogue just skip through Honestly, it like i did and the game speeds it, yeah. up very quick. <laughs> yeah. 12 hours in and out i guarantee it <laughs> but this story neil this oh, story yeah i know <laughs> and and this one and like yeah matt's point is is really true there because yeah the story in this actually matters a lot but you it gets grinding at the end there it, it's it keeps going and going it's like okay let's let's go let's let's end it quickly uh at this point like i i i think this game definitely would have benefited a, a bit if it just had you know maybe took away six or seven chapters mm-hmm. Uh, and and tightened it up a little bit because yeah it's such a it starts really strong it's probably one of the most like interesting games I've played on the GameCube now that when you start it you're like okay yeah I'm in I'm I'm in this game this is great like I, I I'm learning it really fast like the the tutorial's good the um the, all the gameplay at the beginning is really interesting and and the story is interesting and you know it does yeah it does drag after a while after all all that all mm-hmm. those chapters. That's yeah. JRPGs in general, though. Like an R- like a Japanese role playing game, they usually are longer than forty hours. So that's just on brand with the with the genre. It would be cool if they could release like more of a bite sized version of the game where you can play it in ten to fifteen hours. I love those types of RPGs that are quick, but those are more dedicated to the indie space for the most part. You can get some shorter RPG experiences there, and some of them are kind of similar to Fire Emblem, but the story is not quite there because there's no production budget. But yeah. <laughs> Baby Fire Emblem. <laughs> Lanky mode, Fire Emblem. 
<laughs> well, Neil, I think uh, we'll keep Matt on to listen to the back of the case of Fire Emblem uh, Path of Radiance. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Ooh, okay, sounds good. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Dark days are rising. War has engulfed the land of Tellius, where human Beric and half-human Laguse view each other with mistrust. When a surprise invasion triggers a worldwide conflict, a sinister force emerges from the shadows and pits the two against one another. Only a young mercenary named Ike and his small band of soldiers for hire stand between Tellius and Madness. The box art for this game is fantastic. I, I got to talk about that really quick. I love the front and yeah. the back. Really nicely done. Probably the best in the series. If I had to, of the small amount of uh, games that I've seen in terms of box art, this has got to be up there mm-hmm. as one of my favorites. No, for sure. I love this box art for sure. Um, I feel like it would be one of the best. When I think of the other ones, like I do like like Fates had a really good one because all the box art kind of comes together into one picture yeah. if you actually look at it, uh, which I thought was really cool. But like, this one's really intense. I love this one for sure. It's intense. And yeah, it's got that. It's, it's you know, it's got the fire. Uh, it's got the flames <laughs> yes. in Fire Emblem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also got like some depth to it too. Like some characters in the foreground, some are in the background. It's like, who's this guy? Who's that? Who's this guy in the shadow in the back left? Like the... The newer games, I feel like everyone is kind of equally in the front view. Like, there's no, like, everybody just looks kind of the same because they're all, I don't know, I'm looking at Fates right now, and I know what you're saying. It is really neat that they made the box art kind of continue from one game to the next, which mm-hmm. is really neat, but I love the use of, like, yeah, shadows, and, and, yeah, they're all just standing there. Same lighting, same, like, same size. No one's really doing anything interesting, so this one is, is really cool. And also rated T, too. It's a teen game, which is I found interesting for fantasy violence. Uh, wouldn't have expected that, but I guess I guess it had to get that rating for sword combat, regardless of how janky it looked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Well, Matt, is there anything else you'd like to say about Path of Radiance or Fire Emblem in general before we let you go? Um, I would say if you haven't played it, you have to pick it up. Um, three Three Houses is a good place to start, but if you want to wait to the new one engage, do it for sure. But like, yeah. Um, for Fates as well, like Fates was the first time they brought multiple storylines, so that was like a really cool, ser- uh, really cool part of the thing as well. And then Three Houses continued that as well. So I'm really excited for that in the future. It's like more like multiple storylines and like picking, yeah, picking your path. That's like a really cool element that I love for the new games. I think that just like makes sense in Fire mm-hmm. Emblem, like as a whole. It's just like because it's it's they're always looking for ways to find better replayability with these games right it's like okay we're doing the same action a lot there's a lot of repetition how do we make people go back and and find, do these different storylines so i i love i'm i'm a big fan of 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 that kind of style for gameplay so yeah i can't wait to see what the what the new one brings yeah me too yeah well, we'll have to have you back on again real soon once we have some more fire emblem games to talk about but uh until then uh we'll uh we'll see you next time yeah thanks for having me yeah of course thank you matt all right yeah take care buddy bye what a nice young man what a nice young man thank you very much matt for coming on today uh first time caller i know i forgot to ask him his uh, what his original uh gamecube was back in the day uh and he it was a purple gamecube uh it was an indigo so he did tell me that later in the later on off off air or beforehand i don't know Uh, timelines (laughs) timelines messy neil but uh it was awesome to have him on he knows so much 
information and just knowledge about uh, about Fire Emblem, the series, and Path of Radiance. So it was, it was really cool to pick his brain about it. Yeah, it's awesome to talk about Fire Emblem fans. It's funny that most of them are fans from Awakening, and then yeah. they go back maybe to the Wii game, at most to the GameCube game, and then the, the DS and Game Boy Advance games. Not so much the earlier games on Famicom and Super Famicom for obvious reasons, but it's fun to talk about the series and where fans want to see everything going forward in terms of replayability for these games because the old Fire Emblem games, we didn't really get to talk about this too much, is that you have to play them quite a bit if you want to unlock everything. And that's yep. something that in Fire Emblem Path of Radiance that you must do. Uh, there's, uh, among the Game Game Boy Advance connection, there's also unlockable characters. But you have to beat the game from three, I've heard as much as 15 times to unlock <laughs> all these extra characters. Yeah. And the extra characters you can only play in like bonus missions and stuff you can't even play that with them in the uh in the main campaign so there's a lot of extra content hidden in the game and to not have to play the game 15 times sounds fantastic to someone <laughs> like me uh but there's also the game boy advance connection too with fire emblem path yeah. of radiance which if you owned the game boy advance version of fire emblem and the game boy advance connector and path of radiance on gamecube which i can't imagine many people did uh but it's uh, it gives you access to concept art as well as special maps revolving around characters from those games which is really neat it's cool stuff to have history around fire emblem i hope that they start to kind of package some more historic things about the series into the into their future games because the series is 30 years old now so yeah. there's a huge history almost as old as mario and zelda and uh be cool to kind of see some old concept art some old maybe levels that didn't make it, some characters that got tossed out. I think that there's a lot of old Fire Emblem history that would be fun to see in uh, in current games. But uh, yeah. anyway, we'll have to wait and see. January 2023, baby. Let's, uh, let's see what comes out. They would definitely do some cool stuff because Nintendo takes care of Fire Emblem. They might not take care of their other franchises, but they take care <laughs> of Fire Emblem for sure. And I think that game also will be pretty good. We, we will talk about that later on in the closing and our thoughts about where we see the franchise going in the future. But Neil, of course, this game is a good game, and it is featured in 1001 video games before you, that you must play before you die. So I'm going to read that to you right now. Sweet. Sounds good. I feel like we're way too late for this now, but I feel like we needed a jingle for that. But anyway, maybe, uh, maybe later. <laughs> yeah, maybe in the next project, Neil. But, um, like a without... chime or something, yeah. you know? <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> With a narrative entirely unrelated to any preceding Fire Emblem games, Path of Radiance tells the story of a band of brave warriors seeking to repel an invading horde that threatens to, uh, to swamp their proud nation while restoring the rightful ruler to the throne. From a presentation perspective, Path of Radiance is the first title with full voice acting throughout, and it also features sharp, cel-shaded visuals. In, ter in terms of content, the title also finds room to introduce a new race of characters to wage war against, and creates a new battle preparation system to up the strategic ante. Party members leveled up over hours of gameplay will die for good if killed, while the new cartoon visuals retain a sleek Western-influenced aesthetic that has always been a series hallmark. Path of Radiance is hardly the best-looking game on the GameCube, but with tactics this deep and an adventure this wide, it's one that's still worth returning to again and again, and remains a title that strategy fans should try at least once. Awesome. The first line in that review is is so... It stood out to me, just kind of foregoing everything that came before it. Like, basically, a completely new story based yeah. on nothing that came before it. Like, imagine a big series doing that now. Like, uh, I, I'm sure that there are examples of it, but, like, I would love to see video games, movies, TV shows, whatever. Like, I love the thought of resetting every so often. Like, Star Wars really needs to do this. But, like, in terms of video games, like, 
just a series that's been going on, a very story-driven series that's been going on for, at this point, 12, 13 years, to completely reset and start with new characters, new storylines, throw out everything they've done before, eventually yeah. circle back to it. It's a really bold choice, especially for a, a game on, on GameCube. First shot in North America on a console. Uh, interesting idea, and actually the right idea, too. Like, if they had made Fire Emblem a sequel to a Super Famicom game coming out in North America and just carrying on the storyline, people would have been completely lost. So it definitely yeah. helped resetting those, uh, resetting that clock and starting again. So great choice. Glad that they did that. That's uh, that's good stuff. You mentioned Star Wars there. And like, that's one of the reasons I love Knights of the Old Republic because yes. it just, you know, has nothing to do with anything in Star Wars, really. It, it, it takes right. the, the core mechanics and things you love about the franchise and just, takes it to a whole different place and makes it really interesting and and, uh, and uses the, a video game to tell a story properly, I think. And yeah, I mm-hmm. think Fire Emblem Path of Radiance does a really great job of this. It was also voted the 10th best fan game on uh, on Nintendo Life uh, by fans, 10th best game. Uh, wow. And uh, yeah, so pretty high for, or, sorry, the GameCube game. Uh, but uh, oh okay gamecube yeah. okay yeah yeah <laughs> still still pretty high for gamecube 10th best gamecube game uh and their little right up here says despite having a having a prestige and being adored by those in the know it was arguably not until fire emblem awakening on 3ds that the mainstream woke up to the turn-based delights of intelligent systems rpg series for anyone who was a fan back in 2005 this gamecube game only the third entry to be localized for the west introduced 3d visuals to the strategy series as well as the protagonist ike who would go on to join the fight in Super Smash Bros. Brawl and gain notoriety there before returning in the Wii sequel to this game, Radiant Dawn. Excellent. I'm amazed. 10th best GameCube game fan voted. That's really good. A lot of love there. And even on IGN, they published a list earlier this year, and uh, it was the best tactical RPGs of all time. And Path of Radiance ranks number eight on that list. So pretty high. And uh, I think it's a game worth checking out for sure, which I guess leads us into our closing comments for mm-hmm. Path of Radiance. Mike, do you suggest... The listeners out there, go pick this game up, or, uh, or or are you looking for this game now? I think everyone who has any interest in tactical RPGs or just this genre or anything, I guess, related to this genre should check it out. It's a really, really good game, and especially it hooks you in very fast. Now, the price tag to play it physically right. is pretty insane and not worth it. So I think it's like the chibi robo aspect here where it's like if you can find a way to play it, uh, that's not $400, please, by all means, check it out. It's, you know, even for someone like me who's not really into this world, uh, has only played Awakening, I really, really enjoyed playing the first part of it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I thought the story was good. It was surprisingly not as anime as as I thought it was going to be. I, I really enjoyed my time with it. And I, I really do like tactical RPGs. And I think tactical RPGs, I think everyone kind of likes them. You know, in a way, yeah. because it's kind of how we deal with like, like just life in general. Yeah. <laughs> life is a tactical RPG. But uh, <laughs> and and I think that everyone has a bit of a fondness to it, whether they play video games or not. So I, I think if you strip away everything, this is just a really, really good tactical RPG uh, at the at the base. Yeah, I agree with you entirely in terms of especially the price tag. Like, even if I were to find this game in a thrift store or something accidentally priced at 10 or 20 bucks, I would be very tempted to just go ahead and sell it. Yep, I would. Like I'd mu- <laughs> I would yeah, I would much rather have that money than this game. Like, I, as much as I think it's an interesting series and an interesting uh, concept, like, I, like you said, strategy, RPGs, everybody can kind of relate to them. It's just like chess. It's like checkers. It's like board games we grew up playing. It's like life. Like, you can definitely see, you know 
coming up with a strategy on a daily basis for <laughs> yeah. whatever it is you need just to get to work is yeah. like an RPG. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's definitely that kind of, there's definitely that uh, appeal to people that I think everybody can enjoy. But uh, I think like uh, Jeffrey Z said earlier in the episode, I would recommend people out there illegally download this game because at this point, <laughs> Nintendo's not making any money off of it anyway. And I'm not telling you where to illegally download it. So it's not illegal for me to say that. Um <laughs> But Nintendo's not giving us a legal way to play it anymore, so really you're just giving money to uh, to people selling it on eBay anyway. Uh, if Nintendo were to eventually bring this game out in a collection or as a remaster, I think it would definitely be worth playing, picking up, uh, getting a GameCube remaster. This is ripe for it. I think that yeah. this game looks rough 20 years later. As much as we love the cutscenes and the music in this game is absolutely beautiful too. Yes. We didn't even talk about that. Hearing like a remastered, orchestrated version of this soundtrack would be so good yeah. in a remaster. So if they were to come out with something like that, I might be tempted to pick it up or again borrow it from Zaffer at some point because <laughs> uh, I'd love to go back and, or borrow and play from this Matt. game. He has this, yeah, he owns it. Borrow it from Matt. He's he's calling us from England though, so it might be difficult to see him. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I think that until that day comes when Nintendo remakes this game on something, I think playing it. Uh, on an emulator is probably the best way best way to play it but mike where do you see fire emblem going forward obviously this is going to be uh semi-annual or annualized franchise for nintendo but what do you want to see come out of the series it's a good question neil so i i i think like matt really touched on it well because obviously he is a big fire emblem fan and he knows his he knows the series has played most of the games and i think he's totally right you know going to the the, the three paths or giving different paths for people to go down. Uh, Octopath Traveler, you know, really has been pushing this as well. And a lot of people really enjoy playing that game. And I think that's in general, like people like seeing what happens if I do this, like, let's, let's see the what ifs, like, let's see what happened if I uh, did this instead and change the storyline and change the narrative and change the game basically. And uh, I, and I think how Fire Emblems before did it were like play this game 15 times, but the same thing, uh, like right. you were saying for Path of Radiance, right? But for Three Houses, you had the option to really choose your um, like choose your own adventure in that sense. It's mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think of it akin to choosing one of the three Pokemon uh, when you start off a new Pokemon game, but it actually matters. <laughs> so uh, it, it's uh, it's it's probably what fire emblem will keep doing i can't see them not doing that mechanic anymore because it's just so popular and like even someone like me who's an outsider is like yes you should 100 percent do this uh, and of course we're getting engaged in 2023 mm-hmm. we will definitely get another one after that uh despite awakening supposed to be the last one and <laughs> sorry guys that didn't happen <laughs> nope. um but uh, yeah i it, i i'm not sure if we will get uh a Path of Radiance remaster in the sense of what we were talking about earlier uh, in terms of it just being the, like just a remake. I think if it did get remade, I honestly think they would just put in all the new mechanics and then just sure. have Path of Radiance and have the story. I'm fine with that. I think that that would be totally fine. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like we talked about, they have made these games more enjoyable to play. The quality of life has improved. So if that's the best way to put it out make it more of a modern art turn-based rpg i think that that's that's totally great um i would honestly like to see this is never going to happen so i'm just going to have a pie in the sky wish but we have advanced wars kind of coming out kind of coming back eventually (laughs) we're going to have advanced wars and it's a bit of a campy uh military uh tactical rpg grid based a lot like fire emblem which we talked about at the beginning of the show uh just with tanks and guns and everything and we have Fire Emblem, which is a bit also campy at the end of the day. It's this uh, Jap- Japanese uh, tactical RPG. 
I would love a crossover between those two franchises. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I think that would be so cool. And it like it doesn't have to be a mainline. It doesn't have to be part of the story. It can be one of those spinoffs of Fire Emblem. Advance Wars isn't big enough to have enough spinoffs, but I think that'd be a really cool thing. I don't know how it would work or how it would make sense, but I think it'd be really goofy to see Fire Emblem in a completely different genre outside of just fantasy uh, fantasy anime. I think that'd be really cool. Just to see like tanks fighting against Ike. I think that'd be funny. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of what I would like to see is to, to, to get some, some more crossovers with these, uh, tactical RPGs. Cause Nintendo has a few of them, which is really funny. They have, uh, they have a few RPGs that like, just don't ever seem to cross paths like Paper Mario. They have, uh, Advance Wars, they have Fire Emblem, uh, they have Pikmin, which is also, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of an RPG, not an RPG, but it's RTS. an RTS, yeah. which you could kind of throw into that too. Like it's y- tactical that is... in this, you know, it's like the strategy yeah. there is tactical strategy. <laughs> exactly so you have these four or five franchises that could kind of somehow cross paths in some kind yeah. of a weird story we've had some pretty bad paper mario crossovers so maybe i don't want to wish for too much but i think that i think that nintendo could have some fun with these campy uh tactical rpgs but mike while i'm waiting for a crossover between olimar ike and uh paper mario why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 116 of the gamecube was cool podcast all right, Neil. Well, on episode 116, we will be talking about NBA and basketball games on the GameCube. Of course, we already talked about a bunch of them. We talked about Street Hoops. We talked about the NBA Street franchise, specifically Volume 3, which has Mario, Luigi, and Peach facing yes. off against real players. So we won't be talking about that game, unfortunately, but we will be talking about seven NBA games, specifically NBA Courtside uh, 2002. I'm, I'm excited to talk about that's a nintendo published nba game for some reason mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have some friends of the show on to talk about the nba live series and a little bit about the 2k series and kind of where it's uh, evolved from since then there are so many basketball games out there, dude. Like I was, I was doing a little bit of research there, and like every console has like five basketball games, and there are some that are very just simulation of the NBA or whatever it is at the time, and then there are some that are super arcadey, and everybody has memories of playing one yeah. or two of these games at a friend's or a cousin's house, or they rented a random NBA street game from Blockbuster. So basketball is one of those sports games that's just synonymous with with video games. Uh, we've already talked a lot about all the other sports games, so this will be one of our last sports package mm-hmm. episodes i suppose which is crazy to think so really excited to talk to you about that next week with a few of our friends but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode 115 of the gamecube was cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube is cool all patrons get the show ad free and a little early thank you so much to everyone over there head on over and check out our merch store on tpublic.com link to the store is in the episode description follow us on instagram twitter or facebook and join the weekly conversation on our discord channel just search the gamecube was cool share us with your friends and family tell marth and roy neil says hi thank you so much for the support and we will see you next week see you later bye-bye GameCube. over 600 games you've never heard of GameCube. the product of what happens when you think inside the box GameCube. we like ike we like Ike. D D D D D D D D. Who do you think does those things? Is that like one person saying it a thousand times, or is it like a group of people that they just pull off the street? Ooh, great question. Uh, I'd like to think group of people that they pull off the street. Uh, they just came from uh, some random convention. So yeah, let's see if we can find anybody that's been credited to be a Smash Bros. <laughs> chanter in, in the audience. That'd be that'd be really cool, actually. It's my new life life goal. That's my new dream. All right, let's uh, let's get to work on that right away. <laughs>